Hi, this is Andrew, and this is Keynote, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello, everybody. It's December the 9th. I'm talking to you, as always, from San Francisco in California. This is the Keenon Show. And today we're talking about various kinds of shows. Uh, one headline that caught my eye this morning was from the New York Times, a, a guest essay about why the Biden presidency feels like such a disappointment. Uh, I think we're all feeling that for one way or the other. Uh, and uh, the piece basically suggests that the show is elsewhere, that Joe Biden is trying to make a name for himself, trying to make a lot of noise, but the noise is elsewhere. And we know where that noise is. It's on the right. It's within the Republican Party. All the news seems to be within the Republicans. Uh, CNN headline today, a McConnell-McCarthy divide. And of course, it's a divide over you-know-who, Donald Trump, uh, New York Times headline this morning, New York uh, Attorney General is going to subpoena Donald Trump to testify, apparently. This story won't die. The Trump show goes on. Uh, Mark Meadows is suing the House January 6th committee to block subpoenas. The story simply won't die. It's all about the future of American democracy and Donald Trump, of course, and the Trump show is bound up in that. Um, meanwhile, the, the media, mainstream media, seems um, still obsessed with, with Trump. A headline today in, on CNN, the 28 most ridiculous lines from Donald Trump's interview with Hugh Hewitt. The guy won't die. The show won't end. Um, last year, one of the most, um, one of the smartest, one of the most insightful, and, and I guess privileged observers of the Trump show is Jonathan Carl. He's the uh, the White House correspondent for ABC. Uh, he was on the show. Um, he had a new book out, Front Row at the Trump Show, and uh, fascinating book, insights which are pretty unique given his role and intelligence. John Carl, or Jonathan Carl, as the cover of his book suggests, has a new book out, Betrayal, the final act of the Trump show. And I'm thrilled that John is joining us from his study in DC, is it, John? Yes, yes. Not the formal ABC. Uh, most, most viewers will know you as a more formal television character, but here we have yeah. Unvarnished John Carl. John, uh, the new book, which I've been reading all morning, uh, up to your normal standards of accuracy and perceptiveness and profundity. The final act, John, though, is it really the final act um, of the Trump show? As I suggested in the intro, it seems as if the show's going on. If anything, it's stronger than ever. Well, the final act of the Trump show is betrayal. It's a betrayal of the very democracy that got him elected president. It's also his obsession with the idea that uh, the people closest to him have betrayed him by not fighting sufficiently for him. Um, and he lays the blame for him being out of office. But betrayal is ongoing. This final, we are in the middle of this final act. I, I don't think it's over uh, by any means. Uh, he continues to try to undermine 
our our system of government. He continues to lie uh, relentlessly, uh, and in fact, with 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 greater force uh, than he did even when he was president about what happened in 2020. Uh, he continues to try to uh, undermine the democratic process in a state by state level uh, by targeting uh, the people that stood up uh, for the truth, uh, the Republicans that stood up for. Uh, for the truth in the states that he attempted to overturn uh, election results in. Uh, so, yeah, I'm not saying it's over. Don't get me wrong. Uh, we are in the midst of the final act of the Trump show, and that final act is betrayal. Are you making money, but are you not sure you're doing all the right things with it? Are you investing it correctly? Are you saving it? Or are you somehow losing it? Is it falling between the cracks in your life. Does money stuff stress you out? It certainly stresses me out and I'm sure it stresses out all of my listeners. Are you just winging it with your finances? I am, you probably are, and most of us do because that is the nature of most of our financial self-management. If any of those things are true, you've got to try Facebook. If any of those things are true, you've got to try Playbook, the app for growing your own money. For the average user, Playbook helps boost their net worth by over $1.3 million. Yes, that's $1.3 million. There's no paperwork with Playbook. You just connect your own bank accounts and Playbook builds a plan to maximize your own tax advantages. Playbook tells you which tax-advantaged accounts you need, how much money to put into each of them, and even automates these processes for you. Money stuff can be stressful, we all know that, but Playbook makes it easy to review your own financial plan track your own financial progress and make changes at any time you want. Plus, it's all automated. Once your financial plan is in motion, Playbook is on it. They keep an eye on all your finances and adjust your plan accordingly. It's rare, very, very rare, that a finance app thinks about your finances as a whole. That's your, all your finances, your taxes, your savings, and all your life financial goals. Whether it's a wedding, a family trip, donating to charity, or the FIRE lifestyle, Playbook helps you get there faster. So what's my favorite Playbook feature? I really like the way in which the app shows me all my accounts, all my goals, and all my progress in a single place, instead of having to log on to 10 different confusing finance apps. Uh, Automatica contribution to my Roth IRA and travel fund uh, every month. The Playbook Impact. It tracks and predicts how old I'll be, when I can stop working forever. So get on the road to financial freedom. Go to helloplaybook.com 
forward slash keen on. And with my unique link, helloplaybook.com forward slash keen on, you get a free playbook impact. It predicts how much your net worth could grow if you start today. Helloplaybook.com forward slash keen on. Playbook to financial freedom and beyond. And the book about the trail is out. Uh, New York Times already, New York Times bestseller by Jonathan Carl, The Trail, The Final Act of the Trump Show. It's got great reviews, but there was one review in the New York Times, John, that accused you of being a little naive, suggesting that you shouldn't have been shocked by The Trump Show, that you expected more out of Trump. Is that a fair criticism? At what point in the presidency did you essentially... um, come to the conclusion about betrayal uh, i thought it was a i thought it was a strange review uh and it seemed quite yeah they clear. were out to get you i think as the new york <laughs> times sometimes is probably a little and, bit you know, uh, I, envious I, I of your that. platform and i and i appreciate that of all the reviews that are, that are out there uh which have been universally I mean, I, I've been very hard and universally positive, with the exception of one. I'm glad you focused on the uh, on the New York Times because it is the one that is like theoretically the most important, right? It's the newspaper of record. Um, the, the the reviewer didn't seem to really be familiar with with my work. Uh, I, I thought it was notable that if if you look at the review in the first paragraph, uh, she quotes extensively from the bio on the book jacket. Yeah, well, maybe she, I, I don't want to get into the review, John. I mean, I, I was just using it as a way of getting to your. Yeah. Was there a moment yeah. when the light bulb went came on for you during during particularly the final year? Um, look, I I've known and covered Donald Trump on and off since 1994. Um, and uh, I, I in one thing I wrote wrote about this pretty extensively in, uh, in front row at the Trump show, uh, it, it's remarkable how little the guy has changed. Um, so yes, I, I think that there is much that was shocking uh, about uh, what happened over the course of the last year uh, of his presidency, over the course of his entire presidency. Um, there's much that still continues to shock now. I, I, I describe it as shocking, but not surprising. Uh, given who he is and given his track record and given his obsession, which uh, has always been one thing and one thing only, and that's himself. Uh, so, but but I, I do think that over the course of 2020, which was such a ca- catastrophic year uh, for, for the United States, I mean, for the world, um, the, the, the moment that, that really struck me that, that we had caught we crossed into a new territory even though his behavior was was predictable and essentially what it had always been um was when the pandemic hit and he decided he was gonna have daily press briefings um in in, in, in the briefing room and he was he was saying things that were dangerously untrue he's always said things that were untrue uh but now there were actually quite literally deadly consequences for the lies that he was spreading, you know, for him saying that the coronavirus was, you know, no different than, than the flu. Uh, I was there in the briefing room when he, when he talked about 
possibly, you know, could we inject disinfectant in our bodies as a way to treat this thing? Um, so that was part one of where I saw we were in a deadlier, um, more serious mode. He'd always been a liar, frankly, but but now the consequences were were worse. And then, you know, the election lie, because he was tearing apart the fabric of our of our nation. Um, and he was undermining something that had managed to sustain itself throughout our entire history. Uh, you know, even the Civil War, um, uh, you know, faith in, in, in the way we conduct our elections. Um, I mean, <laughs> it's been pointed out by others. The South seceded, but they, they didn't like dispute the fact that Abraham Lincoln won the election in 1860, <laughs> you know. Um, so, yeah, there were there were there were two big moments. You begin the book um, with a conversation you had with John Kelly about Trump's willingness or unwillingness to leave office if he was defeated in the uh, in the election. Um, Kelly perhaps could be accused of being naive too. Is that fair? I mean, what what remind our, our viewers who haven't read the book yet of that anecdote and why you began the book with it? Yeah, it, it starts actually with the. As I was finishing up front row at the Trump show, I I had I talked to Kelly for that book, uh, and I and I had a couple of kind of follow up questions, and I and I asked him what seemed like a purely hypothetical question because we were we were still a year out from the next election. I said, "What you know? What happens if he doesn't concede? If he loses and he doesn't concede?" Um, <laughs> I mean, imagine such a crazy question. And Kelly told me, oh, you know, he'll look, he's going to leave. And if he refuses, there are people who will escort him out of the White House. And then Kelly added, he could try to chain himself to the resolute, meaning the resolute desk in 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 the Oval Office. And there are people who will calmly go over and cut the chains and escort him out of the building. And I thought that was quite an image of a president, (laughs) you know, refusing to leave, refusing to concede and having to be taken out by, I didn't even ask like, who is it? Is it the secret service? Is it the Marine guard stand century outside the West wing? Who is this mysterious day? But it was just kind of a hypothetical. So as soon as I saw people breaking into the Capitol, uh, I called Kelly and asked him what he thought. And his words were, 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 were spot on. I mean, he, he said that, um, it was the first person I heard say this. He, he said that the cabinet should come together. You know, obviously Kelly was no longer, um, at the white house, but he said the cabinet should be convened immediately and they should vote to invoke the 25th amendment, uh, declaring that Donald Trump was mentally unfit to be president of the United States and needed to be removed. And this is a guy who had served as his chief of staff, also is his, by the way, Secretary of, uh, of Homeland Security, um, man of real stature, former, you know, four-star Marine general. And he was telling me that Donald Trump was mentally unfit to be president of the United States. And that's why we were seeing unfold what we were seeing and his complete inability and unwillingness to do anything about it. Um, John, uh, Mike Pence comes out of your book maybe not a hero, but certainly uh, more heroic than perhaps anyone else in in the Trump administration. 
What's your analysis of Pence's role, particularly in January 6th? Well, I spend a, a fair amount of time and uncovered some, I think, very important, significant new details about the pressure campaign uh, to get Mike Pence to overturn the election. I mean, they really had this, they really had a strategy to overturn the election victory. And it was a multi-pronged stat- strategy. It was, you know, getting allies, Republican allies in states that Trump had lost to, uh, you know, to send in new electoral votes. Um, it was using congressional allies to uh, contest those votes, uh, you know, the Biden votes in, you know, when, when the counting was to be done, but it really counted on Mike Pence. Mike Pence, because ultimately Trump didn't have the support in the states to have the states act, which would have been illegal too, by the way. Uh, and he didn't have enough support in Congress. Uh, not even all the Republicans were on board. Um, in the Senate, very few were on board. Um, so it really depended on Mike Pence as the ceremonial uh, <laughs> presider in chief over the county of electoral votes to single-handedly say, instead of counting, because the way the way it works is very ceremonial. The, the, the states each send in these electoral votes in envelopes. They're, they're literally sent certified mail. They have to be originals, so they have to be counted. And they have to be signed by the by the leaders in the um, in, in each state, and they're opened. And then Pence announces the results of what's in the envelope, and they're counted, and et cetera. So you know the idea is to get Pence to when when the when the Pennsylvania ballot, for example, is is opened, and instead of saying it's votes for Biden, say no, the, 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 these aren't in the proper order. We're not going to count them. Um, and. You know, I, I go through the resistance that, that that Pence gave to this idea and the pushback in the days leading up to January 6th, including Trump himself telling me, confirming to me that, that, that he called Pence on the morning of January 6th and told him he had a choice. He could either be a patriot doing what Trump wanted him to do, or he could be a pussy. This has been reported. I thought it wasn't true. I mean, I thought that, you know, I mean, did he really? I mean, I, I, I wasn't that I, I, <laughs> I thought that was a bit overdramatic, even for Trump at, at this moment in, in our history. But Trump kind of freely and almost proudly acknowledged to me that he wouldn't dispute that that's what he said to uh, to, to to Pence. But here's the, here's that gets to the heroic part is, you know, Pence. Pence had no legal authority to do what Trump wanted him to do. He, it would have been a violation of the Constitution. It would have been a violation of our law. It would have been a vision of the very idea of American democracy that one man can overturn the results of, of an election, throw out tens of millions of voters, votes, basically. Um, but what if he had done it? What if he had done it on that, on that day? What if when Arizona came up, he said, you know what? We're throwing Arizona out, not counting it. Uh, Georgia, we're throwing them out, not counting it. Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Michigan. Um, Nancy Pelosi standing next to him at the presiding officership. Nancy Pelosi would have objected. What is she going to do? Grab the gavel and start like hitting him or something? I mean, what, 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 what? So it would have been. Well, I think John, uh, uh, we've got a couple of shows coming up in the next couple of weeks on new books. One by How Civil Wars Start by Barbara Walter, the other by Stephen Marsh, The Next Civil War about 
civil war in America. It would have triggered some sort of war, wouldn't it? Yes, Had... exactly. Because because you say, well, we'd go to the Supreme Court, but I mean, you go to the Supreme Court how? I mean, uh, so the Supreme Court, if the Supreme Court says this is all illegal, and I mean, but how does this, does the Supreme Court have an army or a force to enforce it? I mean, the, the the person you would have the you would have the people in charge of enforcing our laws, breaking our laws, entrusted with enforcing our laws, and and it would have resulted in violence on the streets. I don't think there's any question. Um, Do you and, think uh, Marsh and Walter are both? Um, Marsh is pretty pessimistic. Walter is less pessimistic about the future of American democracy and civil war. Are you fearful um, that civil war still? still is 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 realistic um in in the in the not too distant future i am optimistic that that that, that there will be a a pendulum shift here and i think that i think that despite what you said at the very beginning of of this program uh, and all valid points about trump's strength and, and his power among republicans i actually I think that he is going to lose altitude. Um, I think that he's so focused relentlessly and and solely on the past. Um, I think Republicans found a way to win uh, in these uh, in these off year elections in Virginia, come close to winning in New Jersey uh, by either running away from Trump or ignoring Trump. Um, I actually don't think he's going to run again. He may. I may be wrong about that. I, I wouldn't put a lot of money one way or the other. Um, but there is reason to be fearful that this could happen, uh, because he has set in motion forces, uh, that are hard to, 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 to put back in the bottle, even if he's not on the scene. And, you know, you now have an effort in the, in, in, in the States, uh, to change our election laws on a purely partisan basis is Republican efforts to kind of make it a little, you know, to kind of make it a little harder to vote um, and um, combat you know, fraud, which doesn't exist. And you also have an effort in Congress that is entirely democratic um, to change, to put federal restrictions on the way elections are run. So, you know, if there's one thing that has always been bipartisan and needs to be, it's kind of the rules of the game. You know, fight it out, and then you have an agreement of how you come together, and you have the elections, you conduct our elections, how the votes are counted, and you now have a situation where Democrats, the the fear is that Democratic voters aren't going to trust results because of these changes that Republicans are putting in place. So, and then we know that Trump and his allies aren't going to accept any result that isn't a Republican victory. That's that's a real problem. It is a real problem. The The show isn't ending. Uh, I, I like to think of American politics like the Truman Show. You, uh, the 1998 wonderful movie about disbelief, yeah, reality. Yeah. And we talked about that, I think, on our last time we, you came on my show, uh, John. Um, how do we get out of the Truman Show? How do we escape? This suspension of reality, you say, uh, you know, the 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 the, the, the trial um, presentations, for example, about COVID, which were pure lies, essentially, as you say. Yeah. 
Well, I think the one one step that is essential is establishing the truth about what happened. And there, there will be a segment of the population that's not going to believe that truth. But there, there are people that believe the lies that Donald Trump has put out who are, who are not bad people. They're not themselves liars. Um, they've heard what he has said and said over and over and again, and they, and they take it to be true. They watched the election unfold. Um, they, they saw that Trump was leading, you know, early on in the evening of election night. And they only, you know, days later, he's losing and losing decisively. And they're suspicious about that. And I think that there needs to be a, a, a calm, uh, reasoned, factual presentation of what happened. Um, that needs to be repeated as often as Trump repeats the lies. And it can't just be, oh, the big lie and these stupid people that believe it are these liars and these people that want to undermine our democracy and these racists and these thugs and these. No, you need to just 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 present the facts and address people respectfully about it. I think the January 6th committee uh, is I think the work of that committee, um, if, if it is to be them that really do this, is incredibly important in establishing the truth about that day and about yeah. What do you make the the truth? I mean, we see these images for people watching. It's really out of the Truman Show or out of the Trump Show. It's another yeah. suspension of disbelief. There seems to be two interpretations of January sixth. On the one hand, it was a crazy fancy dress party of out of control people who didn't really know what they were doing, and on the other hand, it was a serious coup attempt. Where, where do you fall in that? Um, it, it was a serious coup attempt, and um, the crime, the serious crime, the high crime, was not the people that stormed the building. I mean, that's bad. They assaulted, some of them assaulted police officers, some of them vandalized public property. They trespassed. They did, they did, you know, they broke the law. But that's like, in a way... I mean, assaulting a police officer is a serious crime, but even that is not was not the big crime that day. The big crime that day was a sustained and systematic effort to overturn an election result. And nobody has been charged with that crime yet. Um, Should they, and, John? I mean, uh, we began I mean, with the headlines about one kind of supponer uh, or su Subpoena or another, I'm pronouncing that word terribly. Yeah, but yeah, subpoena, it's fine. It's a... Subpoena. You say yeah. subpoena, I say yeah, subpoena. Yeah. <laughs> it looks like subpoena, you know. Right. Um, you know, I mean, that that case in New York is about a, the management of the, you know, the Trump organization. And, right, so the Meadows stuff. I mean, yeah, and, 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 you know, Meadows uh, is about whether or not you have an obligation to respond to um, and, 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 adhere to uh to properly issue congressional subpoenas um but the the you know the real crime is 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 there was an effort to stop uh congressional proceeding um and and that is you know that is something that has been included in 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 some of the prosecutions that 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 line uh but it's what was the proceeding <laughs> this wasn't like stopping like the you know, an effort to name, rename post offices. This was an effort to stop the single most important thing that happens in our democracy, which is 
peaceful transition of power at the top level. Um, and, you know, to me, I, I actually describe it. I'm not the first person to put it this way, but I describe it in front row of the Trump show um, as the, um, the kind of crown jewel of American democracy, the, the, the peaceful transition of power. Uh, because we, we can have brutally hardly hard fought election campaigns, uh, but it all comes together. There's an election, the votes are counted, a loser concedes and wishes the winner the best and they fight in the next election. That's been happening ever since, you know, uh, John Adams um, lost to, uh, to Thomas Jefferson um, in, in, in 1800. And, uh, you know, sometimes the, the, it can be tough and it can be brutal. It can be hurt nerves, hurt, hurt, hurt feelings and bitterness. And But, you know, now for the, for the first time, there was an effort to throw asunder. It's terrible. It was awful. It's a crime. It's a high crime. Uh, John, I love the chapter you have in, in the book on the so-called photo op, Donald Trump's photo op outside St. John's Church in D.C. after the Black Lives Matter uh, events and demonstrations. The, here we have a photo, a remarkable photo. Isn't that photo on so I mean, many levels? I mean, first of all, the, the one thing that I find interesting about that photo, so you have Mark Esper, who looks like he'd rather be pretty much anywhere where he is. Uh, same thing with Bill Barr. Bill Barr uh, looks as if he's just been dragged out from bed. Yes, right, right, right. right. Put a tie on. Exactly. Uh, Robert O'Brien looking a little confused. He was the national security advisor. There's Trump. Uh, all the way to the far right, you have Mark Meadows, who <laughs> is so uncomfortable with it that he doesn't even want to face the camera. And the only and person the, who's uh, smiling. The, the PR yeah. person, what was her name? Yeah, yeah, Kelly McEnany. She's the only person that's sitting there smiling as if, isn't this wonderful? We're in front of the church with a Bible, you know? I mean, she's, uh, you know, give me a break. But, um, yeah, and I we don't I even have uh, Ivanka with the white bag. I missed that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She she did a good job kind of staying out of the worst news, uh, even though she was right there, and that was the Bible that she had provided. And the whole walk was in part her idea. But, uh I think she sensed that there was something wrong and stayed back from dad, you know? But your chapter on that was really good because, and, and you were one of the people to break, the role of the military, uh, General Miley in particular, uh, he acknowledges that he shouldn't have been in the photo op. Um, here's a, a headline. Miley was one of Trump's favorite generals. Now he's a villain of the right. Is ultimately the way to save American democracy against Trump, is it, through the generals? Is that one of the conclusions you make in your book? I mean, there is this um, this incredible scene on the, the, the weekend before the election where Milley, General Milley and his uh, and the uh, and the deputy uh, chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff and uh, and another one of the top generals convene a, a basically a Zoom call uh, with representatives of all five networks. It's an off the record call and as representatives of CNN, Fox, MSNBC, Were you uh, on it? CBS and ABC. I was not on there. One of my colleagues uh, was, was on it, uh, George Stephanopoulos. And um, basically the purpose of the call was to say that the military is not going to take part in any effort to dispute the election. In other words, 
put it a fine point on it here. They were saying that we are not going to take part in a coup, a military coup. And regardless of what the commander in chief may or may not order. And the idea that they felt a need to say that days before an election really shows you that the top military leadership was fearing that the military would have been used uh, to subvert our democracy in the way it might be in a banana republic somewhere. And you asked the military the way out of it. I mean, there, there was an example. The military was actually a bulwark against it. Um, well, I mean, a way out in terms of. In we shouldn't have to rely on no, military the, leaders the to protect us from our civilian leaders, you know? I'm sorry, I interrupted you. Uh, no, no, no. I was interrupting you, John. Um, I mean, American democracy has never been tested in that way, but. In that sense, it came through relatively strongly, didn't it? I mean, the military did what they're supposed to do, which is refuse to intervene in politics. The military did what they refused to do, which is to make it clear that they would not abide by any unlawful order. And there were others. We talked about Pence. Uh, but there were many others who refused to go along with what Trump wanted to go along with. Well, there's Liz Cheney, of course, and, and you end the book with an anecdote about uh, Ronna McDonnell, McDaniel uh, and her unwillingness to go along with the lie um, after the election. To what extent ultimately is the challenge to say no, to put an end to the Trump show once and for all coming from within the Republican Party? Because clearly, <laughs> um, Med, uh, clearly McConnell and McCarthy have different views on this. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that is the, the kind of central challenge. And, and if you don't mind, I mean, I would like to just show you how I how I ended all of this, um, because I, I get right to that point. Um, and, you know, I, I say, do you mind if I just read a, a section? No, of like, course not. You don't need permission, John, to read from your own book. <laughs> Future generations will wonder how Trump came to be president in the first place and how so many remained loyal to a man who ulti to nothing but himself. Here's the point. Our democracy, the one we have been taught is the greatest system of government in the history of the world, survived his downfall. But his betrayal showed just how vulnerable our democratic system is. The continued survival of our republic may depend in part on the willingness of those who promoted Trump's lies and those who remained silent to acknowledge they were wrong, that it was a terrible mistake to put one man's ego above the truths we all should hold as self-evident. So I think that the road out of this, the cleanest and most obvious road out of this is within the Republican Party. And unfortunately, it seems to be a road largely not taken uh, at, 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 at this point. I mean, Liz Cheney has taken that path. Cheney um, has done it very bravely. But, but yes. you know, even McDonald, uh, even McDaniel, who you write about in the end of the book, standing up to Trump is no longer standing up to him. Um, yep. uh, the McConnell-McCarthy the, the divide uh, is interesting, but McConnell isn't really willing to stand up to him. Yep. I mean, McConnell... I get into this in the book too. McConnell gave 
the harshest condemnation of a president that we ever we ever have seen. Right, you know uh, that in the book. Yeah, uh, from the Senate floor of of of, of a president of, of a senator's own party, but you know he got caught quick. He he's you know the, the calculation that he's made is that Trump will self destruct, and um and that he he doesn't want to antagonize Trump supporters who he needs. Uh, to vote enthusiastically in the Senate races in the midterms. John, you you want to be optimistic. You started out claiming to be optimistic, but by the end of this interview, you're rather pensive. You're not Mike Pence, but you're pensive. You sound <laughs> pessimistic, and, and you still have that front row on, yeah. if not the Trump show, uh, a new show. You see American politics as clearly as anyone. Uh, so, yeah. so ultimately, even if this book is vaguely optimistic because Donald Trump is no longer president and Joe Biden is president, it seems as if almost the, the Biden presidency will be remembered, not for Biden, but for Trump. Um, there's this, uh, it, it, Biden is selling democracy short, uh, there's a thing on CNN. What's missing from Biden's democracy summit, which is starting today? What's missing is Donald Trump. How do we get rid of this guy? How do we exercise him from American politics? Well, I don't know if I would quite put it in in, in the question in those terms, but I I, I respect how, how you put it. But you know, to me, it comes down to. Uh, to telling the truth and, and and establishing the record of 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 what happened, I mean, I think it's I think it all starts there. I mean, you the, the the reason why we're in the place we're in is because too many people have been deceived. There's been too much misinformation. There has been an effort to whitewash the history, not just of the day of what happened on January sixth, but the election and the election aftermath, and. Um, to get it all right, we've got to we've got to we've got to establish the record. That's why I wrote the book. And that's why right, I and that's why you, you are a truth teller, John. Um, the book "Betrayal: The Final Act of the Trump Show" is truthful uh, in all its anecdotes, in all its conversations, in all its analysis. It's a, it's a wonderful follow up to "Front Row at the Trump Show." You're not alone, um, but I, I want to congratulate you on the book because it is truthful and. The truths are painful for Americans, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's um, we're 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 gonna we're gonna wonder how the, how this all was able to happen. I mean, for a long time. I mean, we this certainly is something... are, and we need you, John Carl. We need you to tell the truth. We need you to con continue to write books and tell the truth on television. I want to thank you so much for making time in your busy day to come on Keenon and we'll have you back on again in, in the not too distant future to talk, I think inevitably about the continuation of the Trump show. It has a long final chapter, a long final yeah. event, John, yeah. but I hope it will eventually end. Thank you so much. Real honor to have you again on the show. Thank you. It's an honor to be on Keenon. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. <laughs>